unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, and we welcome you to our annual JAS UCF football roundtable. And I, you know, I had to look up to see what number it was because you know, with COVID years, I can no longer calculate time. So uh, this is actually our fourth year of doing this, and uh, it's always one of one of my favorites to do. It's always a blast. And so uh, we shall get right to the proceedings. We are going to uh, bring you our panel. We're going to go in reverse, first name, alphabetical order. So that means first up, we're going to introduce you to the man on the UCF beat from the Orlando Sentinel, Jason Beatty. Jason, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. It's always, uh, you know, you can tell when this is being done. The football season is close. Yeah, exactly right. And and by the way, Jason, I think I can speak for the rest of the group and our listeners uh, that, you know, you've brought Knights coverage to a whole new level and to the likes we haven't seen in a long time. So, so we congratulate you on that. Thank you. Today actually marks one year at the Orlando Sentinel. So it's uh, it feels a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> it's a long off season. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy anniversary to you. So that's, thank you. Uh, that's, thank uh, you. Fantastic. Next up, we bring you one of the hardest working men in show business. He's from the Black and Gold Banneret and also one of the preeminent voices of college softball as the voice of the Knights. It's Elo Eric Lopez. Holy smokes. What an introduction that was. Uh, appreciate that. Now I know UCF football season's here when I get to talk to you guys. That's Now it's official. Before, it doesn't, it doesn't count. Yes, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, we're now all good to go. And, of course, uh, joining us also is uh, the man I call the godfather covering UCF in the digital age. We welcome from UCFSports.com, Brandon Helwig. Brandon, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Uh, I kind of feel like the unofficial uh, start of the season is when I get uh, the DM from Jeff to say, hey, let's be on the UCF football uh, preseason <laughs> roundtable. So thanks for having me again for another year. Absolutely. Couldn't do it without you. And, of course, also joining us, our cleanup hitter. Uh, he is uh, from the Sons of UCF podcast and live show where he not only co-hosts, but I think he's the only one on our panel who has brokered an NIL deal. Adam Eaton. Hello. Every year, Jeff, I keep uh, checking my email and you keep inviting me back. I'm with these luminaries of UCF coverage. I keep thinking one year I'm going to just see this show come out and I won't be on it. So I'm just glad you keep inviting me back. <laughs> well, we have to say we couldn't do it without you either. And you know, that like I like to say this is a collection of the of the best of the best who cover and uh, you know do broadcasts and podcasts about uh, UCF athletics. So uh, once again, guys, we thank you for being here. So uh, of course, you know I'm uh, besides hosting this humble little podcast, uh, I'm representing the AAC Report on the Nightline Sports Network. So, but enough about me. Let's get to it. So, let's off offer our, our first question of the day. What is your grade or your number ranking, however you want to do this, uh, for Gus Malzahn's first season? And how do you evaluate the job he is doing moving into year two? Jason? Yeah, I thought a little bit about this um, when you asked the question preparing for the show. I I think a solid B is a fair grade. Um, You know, obviously, you know, UCF fans might say, well, at least an A because he beat Florida in the bowl game and that was a big bowl win. But I think when you're looking at the entire body of work, you know, that Navy loss, I think still hurts a lot of fans when they think about that and how rough that was. And um, even some of the wins they had over USF and Memphis and ECU, those were, you know, close wins that, um, you know, really could have gone either way with a couple of certain things happening differently. 
Um, but with that said, obviously overcoming Dylan Gabriel, breaking his collarbone and all the other injuries, Jalen Robinson, um, you know, just throughout the entire roster, you look at how many starters went down. Um, when you combine that with some of the uh, questionable wins, but also the ability to beat Florida in the bowl game, I think a solid B uh, is, is what I would get best miles on. And as far as the job he is doing in moving into year two, what do you think? Right. I think he's, I think he's on track. I think, um, you know, the Florida win, let's say they had played, you know, Virginia in, in the, in the Gasper of the bowl, I think, or a random ACC opponent or something like that. I think being Florida really gave him a boost uh, on the recruiting trail. And you've seen that some of the prospects they've landed over the summer, um, you know, coaches from day one always say, you know, we're going to win championships. We're going to recruit at high levels. It's, you know, if you're not saying that, you're probably not going to be hired. So, but for him to actually, um, you know, come through on that, at least the first and second class, uh, you know, landing a guy like John Walker's, you know, just the historic level he's recruiting it right now is, is impressive. So he's, he's on the right path for sure, doing a good job. All right, we turn to Eric Lopez. Yeah, I, I would go probably B, maybe B plus. A strong, I think B plus is better than a B. Uh, <laughs> you know, could go depending on how you, how you want to grade. Uh, I, you know, Adam, I think is the expert when it comes to grading the scales uh, from when listening to the podcast. But I think considering all the issues he had, he's dealt with at the beginning with you know inheriting a roster that may, in some cases didn't fit his system, injuries, guys leaving. And to salvage that season, I mean, that season, last season, could have gone way, way worse. Could have gone way worse with considering all the issues they had to manage that. I do agree with Jason. The Florida win was a big boost. It's almost like that extra credit that you get. So maybe you turn in a C paper, but it turned into a B because of the extra credit you did. The Florida win was big. And obviously, with the recruiting he's doing, uh, you know, the state of Florida as he's building it and sort of that momentum as we get into the big 12 i think is huge i think he's probably the right guy to be the ucf coach at this time as ucf is about to make this move from the american to the big 12 a guy that's been there done that in big conferences and knows how to recruit nationally so i I would say b plus all right brandon yeah you know i've been thinking about this uh i've heard the the b's obviously from jason and eric I have a hard time not giving Gus an A for the first season. Uh, just when you look at everything that happened in the injuries, particularly notably to Dylan Gabriel, Isaiah Bowser, the plans you had for the season, just kind of you had to just pivot all of a sudden, go with a true freshman quarterback, that Navy game. I, I have a hard time really putting the blame on on anyone for that um you know defense obviously had their issues so i'm gonna say hey obviously like everyone said beating florida kind of puts a smile on everyone's face and, and changes the changes the perception a little bit but i'll, I'll kind of go a game further back than that is that south florida game think how differently uh we might be thinking about this past season if timmy mcclain has one more play and we're talking about Timmy mcclain because he's now part of a UCS football team, but what if he has one more play or just, or they do score on that uh, final drive and that's a loss and you lose to USF a two win USF team, you lose to at home. And then, you know, I don't, you know, I, maybe they'd still go to the Gasparilla bowl. I don't know if they'd played Florida. I mean, we don't know what the bowl situation would have been like. So really that game, <laughs> there'd be the all season would have been a lot different, you know, and they'd be like, well, as, as Gus, you know, was it a failure in year one? You know, as he loses, I mean, the whole narrative would be completely different 
different if that game goes the other way. But but it didn't. It was a win. I mean, a win is a win. Doesn't matter if it's by you know one point four points, whatever it was. Uh, so with the way it went, I I I still have have to give him an A, and I think. He's doing a great job going in and, you know, building things and kind of progressing to this point where, you know, last year in the American going to the Big 12 next year, recruiting at a very high level. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think he's on a very good trajectory uh, for this final year in the AAC. All right, Adam. All right, I get to settle this. So I'm going to go A minus. Uh, and I, I think Brandon hit a lot on, on the head there, right? So if we had started this season and told everybody, you're going to lose your starting quarterback, you're starting running back, your top receiver, uh, a defensive tackle. You're going to have linebackers in and out of the season all, all year long. You're going to start a true freshman quarterback. You're going to integrate a whole new system. And then you win nine games. I think we all would have signed up for that on the spot, giving all those challenges, all that adversity. Uh, where I give him the, you know, another knock is, or not a knock rather, but I guess a, a kudos. You have to think back to, to UCF under the hype regime specifically, right? So I'm going to give him an A in comparison to that. ECU was a tough game. We, we pull out at the, at the very end. Tulane's a tough game. We pull out at the end. Brandon already mentioned the Cows game. We pull that out at the end. Those weren't games we were winning under Hypo. We were losing those close games a lot in the, in the Hypo regime. Gus found a way to get it done with a true freshman quarterback, with you know uh, backup running backs, backup tackles. M- Matt Lee was out for a while, right? There's th- whatever injury could have happened, happened. Gus still figured out a way to make it work. And that wasn't really something I think we thought Gus could do. I think we thought his offense was one way. And to see him kind of change on the fly and make it make sense, it was not pretty. I think we all know that. But they kept putting W's on the board. So I give I give Gus an A- minus for dealing with all that adversity and for being you know able to, to find a way to still make things happen. I will say, though, thinking about heading into this year, I think he's firmly in that A category. And, and I'm curious if anybody else disagrees. Has there been you know, a, a more newsworthy off season for UCF, right? Uh, four-star recruits are now coming to UCF at all the time. We literally rated the SEC uh, of wide receivers that are on our team now, right? We have a, a, a tight end from Florida that came in the transfer portal. Gus is winning the transfer portal. He said he's going to put a fence around Orlando. He's done that. He's, he's done what he said he's going to do. Now, this is August 23rd. And if we go out and get shellacked by Louisville, I'll change my mind. But as we sit here right now, I mean, <laughs> he's done everything he said he was going to do this off season. So I think a minus for 2021 i think he's trending in that a category as we get to uh you know to 2022 the biggest grade i think will will we'll kind of factor into uh, the further of this year will be the quarterback decision which you know we're going to talk about but i think that'll have a huge impact on on where this grades at if we do a, a postseason recap and, and sort of where we are from from then to now yeah, I agree, know. but I think the quarterback position will determine the offseason because, as we all know, you can make all these great moves, but if you get the quarterback wrong, yep. it doesn't matter. The only thing I will say about the A-B grade, and Brandon mentioned this, if you look, you're one play from losing to South Florida. You look, I mean, it's hard for me to give an A grade, whereas if you lose that South Florida game, this is a completely different tone. Like, <clears throat> I mean, it would be rough. I mean, you go from, the, you know, instead of being the high of beating Florida, you're going to the low of losing a bad South Florida team. Uh, I just think the perception would be completely different. That's why I still kind of knock it down to a B because it, you know, it, it was one of those where this could have been a, a really bad year. And I think, Jason, that's kind of where your kind of your point was, right? That there was some missteps there that this could have gone off a cliff, really eat a play or two here the other way. And it could have gone off the cliff and we'd be having a completely different, you know, not as optimistic of a view. 
Now, Eric, I go back to, I think we all forget the ECU game. We were a Mark Anthony yeah. Richards coming out, out of cobwebs on the sidelines for a, a fantastic two drives to win that game, right? I mean, that's another one we could have easily lost. Yeah. Uh, and, and then even that even gets sets us further away from the cows. But we found ways to figure that out. And I guess for me, you didn't see that very much under the hypo regime. You, you, you know, we were we were third and ten, throwing a two yard out, and we were off the field. Right, Gus found ways to make it work, and you got to give the guy credit for that. He figured out a way to take all these mangled up pieces, put them together, and eke out victories when we probably had no business winning. And I think that's where I give him a tip of the cap for figuring it out from a coaching standpoint. And maybe I'm giving him credit because I didn't think he had that in him. I felt like he was okay. going to be stubborn, old SEC coach. We do it my way. We're high octane. We're doing this, but he, he showed a bit of a difference in this this past season so I, I guess that's where i give him a little bit of credit for being willing to change his stripes yeah you know i i kind of look at this you know it's like you know is there a grade between a and b <laughs> i mean because it's like you're right on the border there you know i was waiting for somebody to go b for boom uh <laughs> as far as his grade goes oh yeah <laughs> but, that, we whiffed on that we're over uh, one yeah. <laughs> but i will say you know uh, agree with a lot of what you guys said i think you know especially going into year two, uh, when you talk about the recruiting, I mean, he's mining the state of Florida and the local area, which is something his predecessor did not do. So we have sufficiently bashed Josh Heupel pretty good here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just like the enthusiasm and and, and and where the team is going. And uh, yeah, the the definitely much better that we're talking about A's and B's versus C's and D's, which as you guys mentioned. Uh, yeah, I just want to state for the record, go- by the way, I would... Uh- I, I would take B's and B pluses. I wish in a bunch of my courses. I would take it. It's not. <laughs> we're, it's it's a good grade. Like I'm not. You know, it's it's not like we're like saying he failed or anything. I'm just you know, it's not a perfect paper, but it's a good paper. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. No question. All right. So uh, Adam alluded to this the uh, the quarterback position. So we know uh, John Reese Plumley has been named the starter. So uh, what do you think about that pick as the starter? And you know, does the Starting quarterback in game one, going to be the starter all season long, in your opinion. Uh, let's uh, go over to Jason. Yeah, I was I was uh, pretty surprised, I felt like. Um, you know, I think, I'm not saying I'm surprised that John Rice was the starter. I'm surprised they did it the way they did it. Like, straight out, before the first game, name the starter, he's the guy. Um, I thought they would have rolled out Mikey Eve since South Carolina State and then also seeing how <clears throat> John Rice played and then actually the Louisville game would be, all right, this is the starter, right? Um, so the way they did it was interesting to me. Um, so that's, I think, the way it unfolded was the surprising part to me. Like the fact that they just put out a tweet and said, boom, here you go on a 3 o'clock on a random Sunday. Um so when I looked down on my phone, I was like, wow, that's that's I'm pretty surprised by that result. Um, is he gonna start every job this season? I'm gonna say no. Um maybe that's maybe that's surprising. Maybe everyone else is gonna say yes. I don't, you know, I'll be curious to see how the rest of these answers sound because my personal thoughts are I don't know, just because it's college football, you know, Mikey King got on the field last year, no one expected that. So chances are if we expect something it's going to happen the other way. So I'm not saying he's going to be awful or get hurt or, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, but when you ask the question, is he going to start every single game this season? Probably not just because K- K- the chaos is bound to happen. 
Um, and I do think Mikey Keane's going to be needed to win games this season at certain points. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds, though, for sure. Eric? I, I kind of – that's why I'm a little surprised, too. I thought Plumley would be the guy eventually, but I thought they would kind of bring him in slowly, go two quarterbacks with starting Keene and maybe play both for a couple games and then settle it on that. But they're obviously going with Plumley right away, who I think is a better fit to Gus. I think the if you're an odds maker, if we're doing this on odds, I would say no, he doesn't start every game, not necessarily because he plays poorly, but he's likely to get hurt because he's going to run a lot. Uh, but I, I want to ask Brandon, who has covered so many of these quarterback battles over the years. I remember standing next to him when George O'Leary announced that Pete DeNovo was starting over Justin Allman and the gasp in the media of shock of like, what? <laughs> uh, among other memorable quarterback battles, the Rob Calabrese era that where he started, but Brett Hodges eventually took over the Jeff Godfrey, Wimbush, Gabriel, how do you compare this one? Because this one was a weird one for me, Brandon, because normally we would hear some buzz about a quarterback. Like, hey, you know, Dylan, this freshman, Dylan Gabriel, he knows how to throw the ball. Or Mackenzie Milton, he's got a little Johnny Manziel. I didn't hear any of that. It was almost like, eh, yeah, they're just kind of competing there. Like, uh, how, do you, uh, how do you analyze this one, Brandon? Somebody who's covered uh, a ton of these. Well, what was, what was different? Uh, last few years is that we have zero access to practice and scrimmages. We don't see anything. We can go once a week for 15 or 20 minutes and they go out of their way to make sure that when we go, we don't see the quarterbacks even throwing to running backs. Basically, the only thing we saw today was the quarterbacks playing catch with each other. And that was all we saw during camp. Uh, back in the O'Leary era, the interesting thing, if I recall, all O'Leary practices were always wide open. Fans, media, anyone could go for the entire duration of scrimmages. You saw everything. So that, for me, you know, you can build up a perspective of how certain players are performing. You know, don't take one scrimmage and think this is the way it's going to be. You know, maybe that was just a bad day for a certain guy. I would I'd be there every single day. Uh, sometimes I miss it, sometimes I don't, because they did them at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You think it's hot in the morning. It was even hotter then. But anyway... Uh, the thing that you'd mentioned the Pete DeNovo, uh, Justin Holman battle. I think we all knew Justin Holman was the better quarterback or had the potential to be, but in practice, he was he was terrible. He was a terrible practice quarterback. He he was I think who was it Charlie Taff or someone coined the term. He was like throwing Nolan Ryan fastballs or something. He had zero touch. He's like, you know <laughs> yeah, firing you know the yeah. guy's like you know five yards away and he's like you know throwing it hundred miles an hour at the guy. He had zero touch. He, you know, he just he looked bad. I mean to, to try to remember all those specifics, but it was clear that in practice in camp, DeNovo had the better camp. Now that said. We, we, I didn't see any of this myself, but you know, you talk to people, you know, there was a donors were allowed to go to one of the scrimmages. You talk to families, player sources, whatever, you know, nothing to put anyone on the spot, but just kind of to get a general sense of how they feel the quarterback battle is going. And all the buzz I heard the entire time was Mikey Keene was ahead. Mikey Keene knows the offense. Mikey Keene makes quicker decisions. Mikey Keene is more proficient in the passing game. Of course, like everyone else, like you know, Jason and, and Eric said, I figured John Rice. I think mean, Gus didn't recruit him to be the, be the backup. I mean, I felt like it was going to get to a point where he would start, but my mind started to change when I started hearing buzz from people who actually were seeing practice. So that's why I was a little surprised. And when you go back and listen to what Gus said in his press conference, he didn't really say 
John Rice won the battle in camp. He had the you know, he re- he was really careful in how he described how he came to the decision. He said it a couple different ways. He basically was trying to visualize how each quarterback would do in situations when it was live against another opponent. His quarterbacks are not live in practice because you don't want them to get hurt. And uh, I think they were live in spring. And Parker Navarro, who's no longer here, broke his collarbone because he was live and he got hit. So that's why you don't have quarterbacks live, especially when you only have three on scholarship. But he went out of his way to kind of not say, you know, John Rice really won the battle through practice um, because, you know, who knows? I mean, coaches have different perspectives than players um, or the donors that go to one practice. But, you know, that was just kind of the buzz we heard. So I was surprised. I thought what Jason said, I thought it would go exactly like that. He was he would be painted into a corner, kind of felt like he had to name Mikey, just knowing, you know, the player sentiment. I'm sure guys were rooting for him anyway, just because he's been part of, part of the team. But I figured it would go that way. And then they would kind of let the first couple games dictate who is the starter going forward. It, you know, it would play out in front of all the fans' eyes and, you know, the players' eyes too. If, if John Rice is like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's running 80 yards or making his amazing plays and who's an Oz. And like, you could kind of understand it if you, if you went to him as being the starter. So in that respect, I was a little surprised. Adam, what's your thoughts? Yeah, not surprised. Like everybody else, I, I didn't think Plumley came here to, to sit the bench, right? I think Gus looked at that skill set and said, hey, I, I can I can use those tools. And I'll use the same answer I just gave. I don't, I don't think Gus wants to win games 2016, 17-13, 17-14, right? I think he wants to put up points. He wants to put up yards. And I think when you look at what Mikey did last year, did you see enough in ending and Brandon, Eric, and Jason may know, did you see enough growth in Mikey to say, okay, he's, he's now going to go from a guy who can put up 17 points to a guy who can put up 31 points. And, and clearly Gus didn't see that leap or didn't think that was there. I thought what was interesting today in the presser. Uh, he went out of his way to mention Nick Marshall. And for those who don't know, Nick Marshall was a starting quarterback at Auburn in 2013. And he talked about essentially, you know, that battle and how he picked Nick Marshall. Nick Marshall was not the favorite going into that battle. He was not a quarterback, you know, by trade going into that battle. But I, I pulled up Marshall's stats in 2013. Auburn went 11 and 2 that year. He threw for almost 2,000 yards, 14 touchdowns, ran for over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. They also had a running back by the name of Trey Mason, who a lot of you may remember, uh, ran the ball 317 times. That's not happening anymore uh, for 1,800 yards, right? I think, and, and by the way, who was, there was a guy in that staff who was a one-year assistant that year, and that was Chip Lindsey. So Chip Lindsey, Gus Malzahn lived through this Nick Marshall thing. In my mind, I think he's got a little bit of that flashback, a little bit of that, hey, I can, I can replicate that old magic. Now, I don't think Bowser's 300 touches kind of guy, but could you split 300 touches amongst the stable running backs you got? Maybe, right? Can can Plumlee do any anywhere half of what Nick Marshall did? So I think Gus kind of did what we all do. We look at that grass on the other side. We think it's greener. It looks like something we've seen before. And I think that's where the, the, the decision lies. I think he doesn't want to win games 20 to 16. He wants to win games, you know, 26 to 6 or he wants to win games 34 to, to, to 10, right? Um, in terms of the other part, is he going to play every game? I mean, history just tells you no. If you look at the last 10 years, there's only been three seasons that the same guy started every game. 2013 with Blake, 2017 with KZ, and 2020 with Dylan Gabriel in a shortened season. So just mathematically tells you a seven of, of those of those 10 years, we've had at least two guys who have taken a starting snap. So mathematics will tell you somebody else is probably going to take a snap, probably due to injury, like, like Eric said, you know, can Plumlee protect himself? That we don't really know, right? We haven't seen if he can take hits. And maybe Brandon and Jason, you guys are closer to him every day. It, I haven't I haven't stood near him. Is he a big guy is he physically big is he is he strong is he or is he kind of that mckenzie milton style build 
more of a McKinsey Milton style. But I'll say one thing when you said, you know, just look at the the stats and the numbers, you know, as far as will he play every game? I think Night Nation, I don't know if people said it, but I think today, I think maybe there was a collective sigh of relief when we saw Mikey Keene walk into practice because that's the thought that I had in my, I mean, I, I didn't know if it was going to happen, but you wonder, I mean, yeah. you saw what happened with Timmy McLean. They named the incoming transfer, the starter, and he hits the portal. I mean, he raced to the portal like 20 minutes later. So you kind of wonder like, ah, uh, you know, he's going to get antsy. Kind of wonder what his future is in this offense. Cause I mean, at that point you're a sprained ankle away from Thomas Castellanos, who everyone's really seems to be really high on, but you know, you would be left with two scholarship quarterbacks if, if Mikey would hit the portal, but it looks like he's, living with the decision um you know so it looks like he you know I, i'm sure he's disappointed but yeah i think he knows in the back of his mind that you know he's probably going to have a chance to play at some point in the season he also knows it's august 23rd <laughs> not may 23rd exactly <laughs> yeah fair yeah. Right. <laughs> let me let me let me ask you this brandon and jace because you're there every day and you're talking to gus and the thing i was looking for as this was developing because you guys would ask about how what do you see in Mikey King that's different now than before and it usually and I'll paraphrase the answer was well he knows the playbook he's making the quicker re it wasn't like the most glowing of like hey this guy's a different guy than last year this year he's he's a totally unbelievable you know I never sensed that endorsement I'm wondering from both of you because I got this wrong did we read this wrong did we think that hey, this is even going in and that Keen's experience being the incumbent had the advantage where maybe in reality uh, Plumley was the leader in the clubhouse going into fall practice and that Keen had to kind of win the job over Plumley. Did we get this wrong? Yeah, yeah. I think you're, you're right on that on that last point. But as far as, you know, we ask every press conference, you know, how's the quarterback situation? Talk about this guy, that guy. What do they do well? I mean, I don't really know if there was much positive that was ever said about any of them. I mean, they're both good. I mean, the first scrimmage, they claimed the offense was terrible. That was kind of a, a negative uh, day in terms of talking about how the offense did, including the quarterbacks. But we never really, oh, yeah, you know, we got in here. Man, you know, Mikey was slinging it around. Oh, John Rice was unbelievable. I mean, even player, I know players are coached what to say. Like, there, we talked to Johnny Richardson a few days ago, and you could just tell he was like so nervous. He's like, oh my God, I'm going to be asked about quarterbacks. What am I going to say? And some things kind of came out, you know, maybe the way he probably didn't intend them to. And it kind of seemed like it was sort of negative. But these players get told, don't say anything. Don't say one's leading. You know, don't, don't say one's better than the other i mean keep it vague generic uh but i think you're right that it was always john rice's to lose and if anything it being so close between mikey and john rice i mean like i said coaches can be seeing this a completely different way but if the reports were true that that mikey was outperforming john rice in certain you know categories out there at least players thought they were it made the decision so tough that i think Maybe, you know, remember Gus going into it said he was hoping to name a starter by the second scrimmage. And then it was like, well, I don't know if I can, you know, usually, usually the team knows when something, he kind of sort of, you know, moving the goalposts a little bit when he was going to announce it. I think that was because it was so close and he was just assuming, you know, John Rice with all of his intangibles and his speed, it would, it would be pretty clear. And, and it clearly wasn't. I think what's interesting, Jeff, is a lot of people look at this battle. Gus didn't pick, I think, the maybe the best quarterback. He picked the right quarterback. And I think that there's there's a variation of that word. I think people assume, well, you know, Plumley can't throw and Key can do this. I think Gus thinks that Plumley's the right quarterback for his system. Keen may be technically ahead of him in a lot of different skills, a lot of different things that he maybe will do with the offense. But I think Gus didn't necessarily say I'm picking the best. I think he's picked the right quarterback in his mind. 
that, that right quarterback's John Rice Plumley. So I, I don't, I, I think that there is some, some nuance of word there um, and, and probably a little instructive to what Gus is thinking about. I think he went for the right quarterback, at least in his mind. We'll see if he's I right. Just think, I think the ceiling is much higher with John Rice than it is yeah. with Mikey Keene. You know, and could there be some similar situation to a, you know, a few years ago, you know, you know, when Brandon Wimbush transferred in, you know, he started the first game. Uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel got playing time in that first game, too. I mean, I, I suspect we're going to see Mikey Keene against South Carolina State. I'm hoping we see all three quarterbacks in that game, to be honest with you. Um, you know, still potential for for Mikey Keene to take the job if he's going to get some playing time. I'm curious how that plays out, because now you have two guys potentially. I don't want to put words in Mikey's mouth or in his head. Right. But. He obviously, he, you know, if he doesn't play four games, he preserves a redshirt. If he wants to leave at the end of the year, he's got that, right? I think Gus probably wants to redshirt Thomas Castellanos. So you've got two guys who are your next two up in quarterbacks, neither of whom may really want to play more than four games. So what do you do if you get into a spot like that? I think that may be interesting. Garbage time games, what happens, who comes in, who doesn't come in, because there may be some interest for both parties on, on not getting more than, than four games. in. so I think that may be interesting to track this year. <laughs> Are we comfortable? Are we are we doing the right thing eliminating Castellanos from this conversation? I only bring that up because he's been brought up here recently in recent media availabilities. A lot of that's just yeah. Is that just hey, let's keep him happy and this you know and all that, or or, or is there some smoke, Jason? You're not. You think this is just coach talk here? I think that's just to keep him happy. I mean, I really do. I mean, just because I haven't specifically heard. I mean. You know, when Dylan won the job as a true freshman, it was like, oh, this kid's, you know, he, I, I'm not saying we haven't heard good things about Castellanos. I mean, Chip Lindsay told me, you know, he thought, you know, all the questions were, how did Mikey grow over the summer? And how did John Rice grow over the summer? And Chip Lindsay told me he felt like Tommy grew the most over the summer since the spring, and as, as he should. I mean, he's only, you know, a freshman. I mean, he hasn't been at UCF for more than a year yet. This is his people that remember this is his, this is still only his first season. So um, I would hope he's, you know, learning the playbook and, and learning how to be a college athlete and a college student. Um, I just feel like if they were so good and happy with him, he would be the guy now. I mean, otherwise he, you know, well, I mean, if he's so good, then play him. I mean, Gus says, well, he's a real quarterback. It's like, He's a real then guy. Then play him if he's such a real quarterback and he's a guy. Because otherwise, it is just coach talk. It is just trying to keep him uh, happy and keep him in the portal or keep him out of the portal, sorry, and keep him at UCF because he obviously is the future. I mean, I don't know what John Rice is going to be doing next year. If Mikey says halfway through the season, I'm done. Sorry, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, and John Rice, after the season, goes, actually, I'm going to go all in on baseball. The quarterback room becomes really small. And Tommy Castellanos is your guy. So you need him to be happy and stay at UCF for the future. I, yeah, I'll go back. And I think the last time we talked with Chip Lindsay, I think, I think it was Chip who said, every practice, there's some wow plays that, that Thomas will, will show you. Obviously, he's learning the system. But I feel like we've, we've heard some buzz. I, I know it, it's debatable whether it's calculated to you know stroke his ego and keep him to feel like he's in the, still in the mix. Or I kind of feel like it's, it's legitimate. I mean, we even hear it from players you know, who I feel like they kind of, you know, their eyes kind of brightened up a little bit. Like, I think when you ask him about John Rice and Mikey, they're like very focused on like, oh, what do I got to like say the right thing. But I kind of feel like they loosen up a little bit when they kind of talk about Thomas. And 
I mean, I've, I've heard some good things. Is he, is he ready to be, you know, a starter in the AAC right now? No, but I think some, I, I wouldn't doubt that he's going to be squarely in the mix come next spring alongside Timmy McLean. And at that point, whoever else is on the roster, we think those two guys will probably still be around. We don't know about Mikey, John Rice. Maybe he, you know, dedicates his spring to baseball. Who knows what's going on with that? But uh, I, 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 I think he'll be a legitimate player in the mix, at least by next spring. I think the two words that I'm hearing the most that have, uh, have changed the world of college football, and particularly quarterback rooms, transfer portal. I mean, that has really changed how you got to keep your own players happy, but especially at your key positions. Uh, because, yeah, you're one transfer away from, you know, having the bottom fall out. <laughs> no, it really does. And it allows a coach to find the quarterback that fits his system. That's right. Like you just, you get Plumley. you now get Timmy McClain. I think if in Gus's perfect world, I don't know if Adam, you can see if you agree with me on this in his perfect world, Plumley gets to start the whole year plays. Well, maybe Plumley goes baseball, whatever you transition that into Castellanos or Timmy McClain to fit the offense instead of going from, Hey, we got to go back to Mikey King and adjust our offense. And then we got to go back to this guy and adjust our offense. Maybe this makes it for a simpler transition when you get into the big 12 next year, which, you know, coaches can deny this, but that has to be in the back of your mind is you want to be sure you're ready to go next year in the big 12 to compete right away. That's why for, for Mikey King specifically, like this, this is, you know, uh, he's a, he's a competitor. He's an athlete. He's used to this, but th- this sucks because I think we can all sit here and say the amount of pressure that kid was under last year, you know, the amount of things going on in the locker room, getting thrown into the fire, and how he how he responded, how his teammates talk about him, how much respect he earned from from that uh, from that team. I mean, this will be one of those seasons that we all talk about ten years from now, man. Remember that season we had a true freshman and we eked out a win against the Gators, right? It'll be one of those things we talk about with with loving memory. But here we are, you know, six months later, and if I'm Mikey Keene. I'm the odd man out, right? You know, Gus recruited JRP. Gus recruited Tommy. He just brought in Timmy McLean. We got Dylan Risk coming in next year from Cardinal Gibbons if he signs. Mikey recruited and came in under Keen, right? So I'm not saying Dylan Risk can play, by the way. But, you know, you've got all these guys who are coming in <laughs> who who Gus is going after specifically. And then you got Mikey who was like, hey, I, I came under Hypo. I came under a different system. Like, you might be looking around like, I'm I'm the odd man out at this point, too. And that's that's the bummer is you go from, you know, being a, a night legend. I mean, he's on the field doing the Gator, you know, the Gator chomp and the throat slash. And we all love him to, to six months later he's in the quarterback room looking around being like oh it's me wow um and it's just a it's a it's a sad cruel thing and, and that just sucks for all of us because i mean he, he put together one heck of a season i think one season that where, where if he stays at ucf it goes elsewhere that none of us will forget you know five ten years from now yeah you definitely showed a lot of fortitude that's for that's for darn sure all right let's uh get your thoughts on choices for breakout players offense defense heck even special teams and who do you think will be the mvp jason yeah, I think offense for me, I know Gus Malzahn brought in Kamori Gamble and, um, you know, all those other SEC guys. I think Kobe Hudson, just because he was here in the spring, um, you know, it's it's also tempting to say Javon Baker, but for me it's Kobe Hudson because the relationship he's had with Gus, um, you know, the connection at Auburn and whatnot, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a maybe Javon Baker might be more talented um, but I think because Kobe Hudson has a better understanding of the playbook, he's been around since the spring. He he's played with John Rice pulling already a little bit. Um, I think Kobe Hudson's going to be, even though Ryan O'Keefe, and I'll mention him in a little bit, 
even though Ryan O'Keefe might be the top guy, Kobe Hudson's going to be like Brandon Johnson, who was last year with 11 touchdown catches or whatever it was. Um, on defense, I have another transfer, Jason Johnson, um, at linebacker. I think he's, you know, they brought him in because of his experience, um, you know, kind of like Bryson Armstrong, FCS All-American. I think there's no problem translating to that BS uh, in the AAC. I think he's going to be, even though Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste is, like I said, Ryan O'Keefe, the top guy and leader on the defense, um, I think Jason Johnson is going to be really important to the defense and and kind of keeping that core linebacker group together just because of his senior presence and uh, the experience he has. Special teams, um, you know, we've, we've heard so much about uh, punt returns and, you know, the Amari Johnson injury is really unfortunate for a guy like him who's, you know, been that third or fourth, maybe in fifth wide receiver. He's, he stayed at UCF the whole time. And now, you know, maybe he would be the punt return, kick return. He might return himself this season, uh, Gus has mentioned. But um, in the meantime, I think I think Devon Wilson uh, has been mentioned as a guy who's done some punt return. I know they've talked about Nakai Martinez, Xavier Townsend, but I think Devon, um, you know, doing some punt return is interesting. Uh, you know, he's just really athletic and he's a good guy. So on special teams, I think he's going to surprise the people and who knows what happens to Omari Johnson for sure. Uh, and I said, I mentioned him later, Ryan O'Keefe. Uh, I think he's my MVP. Um, you know, yeah, John Rice Plumlee is going to do some explosive things as well. It's easy to pick the quarterback. It's also easy to pick Isaiah Bowser, but who knows about how healthy he can stay the entire season. Last year's the best play UCF ran was get the ball to Ryan O'Keefe. I think it's going to be the same thing this year. Uh, and I think Ryan O'Keefe's going to be the most valuable player for UCF. Eric? Uh, I'm going to go. That's a tough one. First of all, I think I'm going with uh, Bowser for MVP. I, if he stays healthy, that's obviously the question mark. But if he was stayed healthy, I thought he was the MVP of the team. They were a different team when he was on the field last year. I know they have more depth in the backfield, but I, I just think he's their best all-pound-for-pound pound football player on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm going to go the with him as staying healthy and and getting enough touches to where he – and if being efficient to being the MVP of this team. So that that's my pick for them because I think this is going to be a run football team. It's a 55 – I think I could see a ratio of 55-45 run to pass. Um uh, I think breakout. I'm gonna go with Jerome Baker. I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna go for the bait. I'm gonna go for Baker. How can you? I mean, I've been wowed every time they show the highlights. I know it's just you know quick highlights and stuff, but you wonder if there's that wow factor. You know, is he like a Brashad Perriman type that just happens to make these big plays? You know, in bursts like. So I, I just wonder, like, if Gerard Baker is that guy. So he might be my pick. For, he's going to be my pick for the breakout player uh, from that one. And then uh, I'm gonna go with Baptiste for defense, just because. Well, somebody, you know, somebody on linebacker has to step up. Uh, to me, that's the biggest, uh, it's the second biggest question. Obviously, everybody's talked about the quarterback, the linebacking core. Somebody, I think, has to step up. If this team wants to compete for a conference championship, they've got to shore up some things. And I'm going to go with the veteran in Baptiste to kind of be that leader and have a breakout year where we talk about him, kind of like in a Nate Evans uh, did a 19 and broke out and everybody knew, okay, this is the guy, the leader on the defense, maybe something like that. So those are my my choices. And then special teams, I just hope we're good at special teams. I don't even know. I don't have an envy. Return, I just hope we don't lose games. Because, Jason, you brought up the Navy game. Special teams cost them that game. So 
I'm not even sure if I want to pick anybody on special teams because I feel like I'm jinxing him or something. I just don't want him to cost him a game. I, 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 hopefully I'll be wrong. Somebody will break out on special teams and one of you guys get it. But I'm just hoping we're decent on special teams that doesn't cost us a game. That's all I'm worried about. That's what I'm worried about. All right, Brandon. Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about this. My offensive breakout player is going to be running back RJ Harvey. Uh, he's a, uh, yeah, I, I see uh, Adam's reaction here in the video chat. I know he's shaking his head. Uh, he was a guy that, that people have kind of for, kind of forgot about uh, this time a year ago or maybe a little bit earlier in August that the buzz out of camp was it was Isaiah Bowser and RJ Harvey. Those were going to be like 1A and 1B starting uh, running backs. And, and then I think in one of the first scrimmages, he tore his ACL. So obviously he was out for the year. Uh, but you know, he's, uh, then, and then in, in the springtime, obviously he was limited, but he was back. And, and one of the, one of the quotes that really always stuck with me is we talked to Tim Harris, co-offensive coordinator, running backs coach. And he said in the springtime, and, and this might've been recorded or the, the times might've been recorded prior to spring that even wearing a knee brace. Okay. RJ Harvey coming off an ACL surgery, didn't play the entire season wearing a knee brace timed as the fastest running back on the roster like think about that you've got johnny richardson who's obviously an electric player we've seen what he can do on the field all the other running backs but rj harvey coming off acl surgery with a knee brace was faster than all of them and we've seen him you know i haven't seen him really in practice yet but you know we see him physically i mean he's a bowling ball i mean if he's as fast as they say he is this guy's going to knock some dudes out. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, there's so many running backs. I just, I don't know how they're going to keep everybody happy by, you know, getting these guys touches, but, but that's a breakout guy by definition of breakout. No one's really maybe thinking about him. They're focused on Bowser and Johnny Richardson, but I think, I think he's going to have a, a fantastic year. RJ Harvey on uh, defense. It, I guess you got to, how do you define breakout? Is it somebody who's played before or not played before, maybe played a more limited role, uh, I haven't heard a lot about him in this camp, but I'm, I'm going to go with Kobe Perry. Uh, he's a guy that has a lot of experience. He's one of those FCS transfers. I know Jason was talking about Jason Johnson, a linebacker. Kobe Perry is somewhat of a similar situation. He was the de uh, defensive player of the year at Austin P in the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, experienced. Uh, he's he's gonna gonna play safety. Uh, I'm going to go with him. It's it's going to be similar to that. Uh, a situation last year with Bryson Armstrong, and then on special teams, I, I don't. I, I'm kind of like Eric. Like I don't know. I mean, Amari Johnson, you know, was going to be punt returner. He's hurt. We don't know who's going to be returning punts. Sounds like maybe Devad Wilson. I think Nikai Martinez has that ability. I don't know if they're going to, you know, maybe a true freshman. You kind of want to ease him into it. You know, maybe put him out there when the game's already in hand to kind of get him some experience. Daniel Daniel Obarski. You hope that he's improved a lot since last year uh i know it was an up and down season it ended on an upward trend when you look at what he was able to do against florida and and, and kind of you know get that lead padded a little bit and make it the game was a lot more comfortable in the fourth quarter because he hit some field goals so we we can't lose sight of that um he's got to be more consistent of course uh so i'm anxious to see what he can do um and then as far as overall team mvp this is kind of a cop out, but I'm just kind of, I'm going to go with Gus's vision. I know his vision is that John Rice Plumley is going to do. You know, we look at that second half that he had as Ole Miss's starting quarterback against LSU, running for what 205 yards against the national championship defense that year. Um, 
I think that's the vision. I mean, that's not going to happen every game, but that's that's sort of what I know Gus sees in John Rice. So I'm I'm going to go with that. That you know he's kind of seeing how things would unfold against live opponents. He's just seeing what he can do with the ball in his hands. And so I, I'll just I'll go with uh, John Rice as, as well, I guess his overall team MVP. All right. So Adam. <laughs> Your, yeah. your selections, please. Not a lot of options left here, right? So shameless plug every year, <laughs> we do a preseason poll. We call it the Sunnies, where we ask people to kind of vote. So I'll give you the the fan, the audience vote, because we ask these same questions. The breakout player on offense was voted as Mark Anthony Richards. The breakout player on defense, in a surprise, was Trey Morris Brash. And the MVP was voted as Isaiah Bowser. So that's how our, our fans voted in that survey. Uh, I'm going to go breakout player. And Brandon, this is why he's the best in the business. He, he stole my answer, and he stole RJ Harvey. Um, I'm all in on UCF trying to become a 2013 Auburn. I talked about Nick Marshall, the John Rice Pumley. I mentioned Trey Mason. Anybody, if you guys remember Trey Mason, he was five foot eight, 205 pounds. Again, 317 touches. RJ Harvey, five foot eight, 195. I wonder if Gus just sees a little something that's familiar to him. Brandon already mentioned the speed, some of the power there. I think he's he's a guy that uh, you know we don't know how many touches Bowser is going to get. We know there's probably going to be some uh, a pitch count of some sort of time. So I think RJ Harvey may get some opportunities this year. I think maybe there's a comparable there to to what you know Gus had in Trey Mason. So I'm going to go RJ Harvey, my breakout player, uh, defensive breakout player. Pop quiz for anybody on the panel: How many career sacks does Josh Seliscar have? Six. I'll go four. It's not many. I don't think it's very many. Everyone take the under. It's three. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He has three career sacks. And he's a guy that we've heard his name a bunch. He's a team captain this year. You know, we need production on that defensive line. So I think Traylon Morris Brash is the easy answer, right? Everyone's looking at TMB because we, we've seen flashes of that. I think we've seen a little bit of that in Salisar. But if we're going to have a good year, I think Salisar is going to have to be, be a big part of that. He has to have more than three career sacks. By the way, his highest ever was two as a freshman. Uh, so he's going to have to put together a big season if we're going to be successful on the D-line. So I'm going to go with Salisar as my as my breakout player on defense mvp yeah let me ask you real 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 quick because obviously you you're kind of with brandon on the harvey i just want to add something on harvey because this goes back to what we talked about the quarterbacks we're thin at the quarterback position with Plumley, yeah. you got keen i think we're everybody kind of feels that castellanos will be redshirted so if something happens to Plumley, if I, you correct me if i'm wrong either one of you harvey was a quarterback yes could he be this like that wild night, kind of the Gatewood guy this year that gets some snaps there to maybe protect Plumley and like we're like, oh, what is Gus doing? Like, is that the what is Gus doing moment of the year? That could be a new category, by the way, for the Suns pod, like you know, and moving in future years. But I, I'm wondering, is that part of the thinking maybe uh, that you're both thinking there with Harvey? I'm so distracted by the photo. I'm so distracted by the photo right now. But yeah, I think Brandon, you you saw. Um, there was some practice video of some uh, some wildcat stuff being run, I think, right? So yeah, may- maybe. Yeah, I mean, in an emergency basis, I mean, there's actually a bunch of former quarterbacks on this team. Ryan O'Keefe played, not to say he would be the guy, but R.J. Harvey, Ryan O'Keefe, I think Brandon Adams played quarterback, and Joey Gaywood, he's still on the team. All right, I don't know if he's been mentioned once this camp. I saw him today walk out to practice, so I can confirm that he's still on the team. He's playing wide receiver. I have no idea if he's going to play this season or not, but he's still on the roster. 
Brandon, got you covered there. One of our questions on the Sunnies was over four and a half receptions for Joey Gatewood this season. The under hit big. Yeah. So not, not, not many receptions that people expect out of Joey Gatewood. Uh, MVP, I'm going to go the same route as Brandon. Everything is setting up for Gus to, to let JRP be the be the guy that, that really kind of puts us in positions to be successful and score points. So if that happens, he's going to have obviously a huge season. Uh, he's going to have a huge, uh, huge year. He's going to put a lot of points on the board. So if things set up the way that, that Gus wants them to. I think JRP has got the opportunity to, to be uh, MVP on special teams. Here's my, here's my ply, my, my plight for the year. My, my, my mantra, how do we get Alex Ward, the Manly trophy? Finally, how do we get him the best long snapper in the nation? You know, he was second last year, Phil Steele, God bless him. Had, had, had him third again this year in all American buying two guys that weren't, uh, weren't even there last year. So uh, Alex Ward, uh, Manly, you know, it's really the only thing I care about on special teams and Obarski make a kick. All right. So, you know, I like how Adam brought the group, uh, the, results into the into the conversation very well done by you and uh you know and i think adam too you uh you had picked a uh, gene baptiste a couple of years ago as a breakout player if i recall i wouldn't i wouldn't trust me on that i picked marlon williams three straight years so i usually just <laughs> kind of keep throwing darts and see what hits on that one but well, in, in theory i think eric's right i mean someone has to get tackles right yeah. somebody on that second level is going to have to make tackles you know jjb seems to be the, the the person right now you're hearing a lot of buzz obviously on jason johnson but somebody's going to have to tackle people that run over the middle of the field i assume that's going to be jjb uh, I, I think you're setting up for a season with him but we'll see he was also dinged up a few times last year so we'll see if he can remain healthy yeah well uh you know i will you know, agree uh with elo about baker on offense i will uh, take trayvon morris crash on defense as you mentioned, Adam, you know, he's, he's shown those flashes, you know, will this be the year he puts it all together for a, for a full season? Uh, the nice defense will definitely benefit if that happens. And I'm going to go Isaiah Bowser as MVP. As Eric said, they're a completely different team when he is in the lineup. And now it looks like he's got some more support behind him. So they won't maybe have to grind him into the ground. They can kind of keep him protected and healthy. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's the key uh, as far as I'm concerned, as, as far as that goes. And I guess I would pick Obarski. I just have a hard time getting behind that. Has has anybody got any inclination? Has he been challenged in camp at all? Uh, <laughs> Brandon, any idea? I don't think he has because I think Colton Boomer has been, he's the freshman they brought in from Lake mm-hmm. Mary. He was here in spring. He's been a little bit banged up and injured at times and not dressed out. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what's his day-to-day been like, but I don't think he has because I think Colton Boomer's had some injury issues. Yeah. Well, you know, Colton is probably, you know, maybe too much time kicking bombs and kissing moms. Uh, I think that was the phrase he used. <laughs> uh, so hopefully, hopefully, yeah, I would like to see Obarski be challenged, if not at the very least to make him better. That would be uh, at least uh, some sort of... Uh, I just want to be good on special teams. I just want to be good again on special teams. Remember the days we used to win games on special teams, guys? Wasn't that like Mike Hughes, you know, with the kick return like that? I miss those days. Let's just get back to that. Yeah, but love to see uh, more of that uh, back of the equation. That's for sure. So let's uh, go to our next question. And uh, who do you consider... What do you consider to be a successful season for UCF in this last AAC season? And... Uh, Jason Beatty had to drop out for a bit, but he is back with us now. Jason, can you hear us? All right, so we'll uh, we'll get back to Jason. Uh, 
So he is uh, he is connected, but uh, we do not have uh, the audio uh, portion from him. So, uh, Jason, you are on mute if uh, he had to uh, had to step outside. <laughs> uh, evidently, a little little fun going on uh, where he lives. So we'll uh, uh, we'll we'll let you we'll let him update uh, us on that when he gets uh, gets back to us. So, Eric, we'll throw it to you. Uh, what what's the mark of a successful season in twenty two? Oh boy, this is. <laughs> I would say 10 wins, right? I mean, everybody likes this roster. I think everybody agrees if the quarterback play is good, that the roster is good enough to win this league. With Cincinnati losing a lot of talent, being very young, Houston's the favorite. They have the favorable schedule. But this is a pretty favorable overall schedule for UCF. As far as the, the you know, as far as how many games they play in the state of Florida, as, as far as the schedule in conference, uh, I would say at least 10 wins. I, I don't want to say, hey, they have to win the conference. That's such an obvious, like, well, oh, you got to win the conference. It's otherwise disappointing. You know, I think 10 plus wins. I think people could see, hey, we're, we got a good future. If you get 10 plus wins, maybe you in the conference title game, or at least you're showing that, hey, we got a bright future as we're headed to the Big 12. I think that's the expectation. That would be success. Uh, if you win the conference, get to New Year's Six, that's the obvious thing. But I think 10-plus wins, 10 wins, is doable uh, If you with this roster and the schedule. I think 10-2, and two, you know, you're, football's hard to win. You can see a game or two you drop. I think that's human nature. Maybe the quarterback injury bug hits or whatever. But I think 10 wins or more, uh, to me, is the barometer for the success this year. All right, Brandon, your thoughts. Yeah, I would say a successful season for me is appearing in the AAC championship game. That probably means 10 plus wins. Um, I feel like, you know, there's so many. I feel like this team should be better at every position than they were last year. I mean, they returned most of the key players, brought in some key transfers. I have experience at some positions that maybe weren't quite as deep. I know there are some questions at linebacker, but I mean, the buzz is that, you know, these guys are looking good. They brought in an FCS guy who was, you know, top of his game at his level and some transfers from Maryland. Uh, you know, I think the biggest question mark is going to be quarterback. <laughs> That's really his job. Are going to get it done? Are we going to have a quarterback controversy once the season gets here and whatever? But I think at every position that there should be an upgrade. So, like Eric said, the schedule is favorable. You you basically only leave the state of Florida three times the entire season. That's at ECU, at Memphis, and Tulane. I mean, there are some games that, you know, you, potential trap games. You know, it's going to be tough. Memphis and Tulane back-to-back, you know, later in the season on the road. You know, Tulane always kind of has a, you know, a team that people, people don't recognize, but they're pretty good. You know, um, that ECU team, you know, UCF always seems to find a way to beat ECU. Last year, you know, they, they almost beat UCF at the bounce house. Their quarterback comes back for like a 10th season. Uh, you know, the, 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 the announcer's kid, they'll say that on the TV broadcast about 80 times, I think, during the, during the game. But there's some games in there that, you know, they're not going to be, you know, you're not going to just show up and win. But the schedule is very favorable. Uh, the issue with, uh, with the AAC this year is that Houston, I just feel like, you know, you could just pencil them in that game. They don't play UCF or Cincinnati. They got to play SMU and everybody else, but they've got such a thing. Got, well, first of all, they got a good team and you know, they have such an easy path. So I feel like they're going to be in it regardless. It's probably going to come down to SMU and Cincinnati, UCF winning those games if they want to be the participant. But to me, that would be a successful season. I think it's very doable. 
Adam. I agree with uh, Brandon. I think we've got to make a conference championship game appearance at this point. So uh, we are currently in the longest drought that we've had uh, since 05 of appearing in a conference championship game. Uh, so we've, uh, I, I see Eric looking, I got the stats for here. So we were, we were there in 05, not 06, there in 07, not 08, 09, there in 10, not 11, there in 12, 13, 14, there wasn't a conference championship, obviously with the Big East, but we wanted to share both of those. Didn't make it 15, 16, there 17 and 18. Now we're 19, 20, 21. If we don't make it again this year, four years in a row, we haven't appeared in a conference championship game. That means there will be kids on this team that have never played in a conference championship, right? I think we've set that level of standard success that UCF is going to continue to compete for conference championships. We've done that over, over time. So in my mind, we at least at the bare minimum have to get back to playing in the conference championship game. We have to be back in that game at that point. I think that's the, that's the minimum. I think, you know, Eric and, and, and Brandon laid it out nicely. The schedule sets up for opportunities to be successful this season. Uh, the, the, there are a lot of advantages. We, all the teams that beat us last year, we get again this year, we get them at home. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, we have opportunity to, to stay in Florida for, for, you know, basically nine games this year, if you include our seven home games. So a lot of favorability in the, from a schedule standpoint, um, Gus has the, the talent he's wanted. He's got the quarterback. He went out and sought everything set up to be there to, to end this drought. But right now we're three years without a conference championship appearance. I think that's the minimum we've got to appear in the AAC title game for the final season. All right, and of course, hot seat. Uh, Look at Adam bringing the heat, yeah. man. Bringing it. Wow. I don't know it's yeah. hot seat. I'm not Mike, but it's it's we got it. It's it's a. It, but that's a standard we've set here, unfortunately. So <laughs> blame George O'Leary. Don't blame yeah. me. Well, speaking of hot seats, uh, Jason Beatty is back. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm back. I am so sorry for that. I don't know what happened. At first, I thought it was a drill. But then the fire truck showed up, and it was not a drill. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm back, and um, you guys are talking about season expectations, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I think uh, anything less than contending for a conference championship would be disappointing. And maybe some fans, and maybe you guys are maybe might be saying, if you don't win the conference championship, that'd be you know disappointing. I think if they don't compete for a title. Like anything less than 10 wins would be pretty disappointing in my eyes, just because the expectations they set for themselves. I mean, they think they can go undefeated. They believe that they'll be playing for that conference title game. Um, I, I think they have the right pieces of the puzzle. The phrase Gus loves to use, I keep saying it because I keep hearing it almost every day. Um, <laughs> so I think I'd be pretty surprised um, if they weren't in the race, they should be in the race. Um, I got to vote in the media poll for the first time this year. I had them. I'll reveal for the first Ooh. time. Uh, <laughs> I had UCF finishing uh, number one in my poll, um, playing Houston. I think the Cincinnati hype is, you know, they lost a lot of talent in the NFL draft. Um, Houston has a legit quarterback in Clayton Toon, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, let alone the conference, I think. Um the quarterback question mark at UCF might be too much to overcome in terms of can John Rice be what Gus Malzahn wants him to be? Uh, you know, we talk about predicting and projecting and whatnot, what that's going to look like. But at the talent they have at tight end and wide receiver and offensive line, I mean, you look at all these preseason watch lists, every position besides quarterback and linebacker, UCF had a representative on it, it seemed like to me. So they have the right talent. Um and I'd be pretty surprised. I think it'd be pretty disappointing if they didn't at least play in the conference title game. And if it's at home and they lose that, then yes, that would be a disappointing season, obviously. But right now, big picture, 
Um, I think most fans would are, agree if they don't play in the title game this year on their way out, it'd be a disappointing season for sure. Yeah. So Jason, whose takes are so hot, the fire department shows up. <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, and I kind of, I kind of agree. Uh, I think uh, they got to be in play for the conference championship. Uh, you know, 10 wins an improvement. Sure. I think pe- most people might be happy with that. I don't know. I think uh, I, but I think uh, competing for the conference championship is going to be uh, an important step uh, in this, in this second year. So, Let's uh, close out with our final question. Uh, you got a new uniform combinations this year for the Knights. And so let's get your takes on that. We're going to let Jason kind of catch his breath a little bit because he's he's run outside and back inside. So we'll let him collect himself and we'll uh, let Eric lead off on this one. Eric. I, I'm good with it. Black and gold, pretty simple. Uh, Brandon, I know you went and uh, broke this down in depth. With a lot of the, the, you know, more people that know more about this stuff than I do, including you talk to Jimmy Skiles about this. Uh, I like it, especially, you know, you're still in a transition. You're going to the big, big 12. You know, there's a lot of things to sort out. I personally like it. I know some people maybe are not happy with some of the different looks that they're not bringing back. But uh, I like the fact that we are highlighting black and gold. At the end of the day, that's the school colors. And I do believe in college sports and you do have to honor some of your traditions or your past and black and gold is a part of that. So Brandon, I mean, you, I know you spent a ton of time breaking this down because you've seen, you've seen just about every unveiling of jerseys imaginable in every scenario. Um, And you did a great uh, show recently about that with Jimmy Skiles and other people on the show. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I think the the best UCF uniform, uh, maybe prior to this, you know, most recent, you know, Nike generation, uh, you know, when Frost got here, was was the early two thousands. The Russell Athletic, you know, think of Ryan Schneider in you know oh, two thousand two, yeah, two thousand three, like Stephen Moffat, two thousand three. You know, and then when they went to Adidas, they just got bland and generic, and they looked like everybody else. And George O'Leary wanted to have gold numbers on white jerseys and you couldn't see who the heck was on the field, which was by design, of course, because they didn't want opposing coaches to know who they were substituting. And, you know, I, I don't personally, I, you know, they're fine to me, you know, these new uniforms uh, that the old ones were great. Um, you know, I know people really get amped up about all the different combinations and stuff and, you know, they're, they're fine. I, I think you kind of mentioned a couple years, they did do a two year extension with Nike recently. I would not be surprised that maybe this time a year from now or maybe in the summer that we might hear that they could be switching apparel providers potentially to Adidas because you've got to have a little bit of lead time to get ready to make that transition. Uh, I kind of went back and looked to see the timeline on things like this. You look in Miami when you know they were with Nike for a long time and they signed a big deal with Adidas, I think, in Maybe 2060. I haven't looked this up in a few months, but you know, it's been a few years now, but you need a little bit of time to get ready. That's a big transition to make. You got, you got to change, you know, signage, logos in the building, and you've got to, you know, everything because once you change providers, you know, you can't, you know, you can't even show up to work, you know, wearing another brand of shoes. You're really not supposed to. Like everyone, you got to get so much new stuff. You got to purge everything you had before. So I wouldn't be surprised. Usually these deals are announced, you know, a year before they go into effect. So I, that's the buzz and that's no, no secret. I mean, that's been rumored since not long after, you know, Terry got here that there's a good chance they could move to Adidas. Uh, so I know that's not really the question about how you like the uniforms, but I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if uh, 
you know, maybe two years from now, you know, we're going to see brand new uniforms by a different apparel provider. Adam. Yeah, I thought they were nice. I thought it's a nice, clean look. You know, it's nothing too uh, too outrageous. We're not going way off the board. Um, I agree with Eric. Black and gold. That's. I mean, we're all wearing, and we have some form of black and gold mirrors right now as we're talking. Right. That's just kind of what what you grow up with when you're at UCF. I didn't mind the pewter, the anthracite. I didn't lose my mind when we wore it. So, um, you know, is it's gone? Okay, fine. If we had it, okay, that's fine. We can wear it too. I didn't really care too much about that. But I like uh, I like the black and gold. I like the sort of the call back to history. I like that the creative team took some time to try to find some individ- individualization in what they put together with the numbers and the font. I think that that at least shows that, you know, to Brandon's point, even though these are, I think what the term I heard was bridge uniforms or something like that, or gap uniforms, I, I think it was the kind of the hot bus term you heard, that they're still trying to make them personalized, individualized, they still want a little bit of that UCF brand to it. It's a nice, clean look, nothing too outrageous. Um, you know, I think the players like them, it, it seemed at least from that standpoint. I know everyone's freaking out about the numbers. Again, by the, by the time we're, you know, we're beating Louisville 38 to seven. That's the only number you're going to care about. Right. So <laughs> I think that'll, that'll go away soon enough after, after the season starts, but nice clean look. I, I think it, you know, it certainly is, it's, it's harking back to tradition. I actually really like that, you know, both Jimmy Skiles, and Eric DeSalvo are, are UCF guys, right. They've been around UCF for a long time. So they bring a little bit of that history. They bring a little bit of that, you know, nostalgic feel, you know, I'd love to see him go back. I know Brandon's got the a throwback logo behind him. I have one behind me, right. I'd love to, to continue to find ways to bring our, our, our history back a little bit. I don't know if we do that enough. I think that would be cool. But overall, nice, clean look. I don't think there's anything to lose your mind over. Um, now, when we go to Adidas, yeah, then we can talk. <laughs> All right, Jason? Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything that's been said so far. Um, I, I like the font change, the specificity uh, for it to be, you know, a UCF font, a true original font. Um, you know, again, it's like, could I tell you the color stripe that UCF wore last year against Louisville? I do. They did. They even have a stripe back then. Like I'm not a big uniform detailed person. I'm not uniform tracker. I'm not Christian Simmons. It's, it's, it's really cool. I think the one thing is when I see these uniform releases, not just UCF, but all these, you know, city edition in the NBA and uh, the MLB is kind of doing that too. It's like, I know what a bad jersey looks like or a bad <laughs> uniform. Like, I know what that looks like for sure. And when I saw these, I was like, yeah, they're good. You know, they get the job done. And um, I think the also, the other thing important to remember is regardless of how you feel about the font and the colors and the color change and whatnot and all that, the space uniforms aren't going anywhere. So the space game is really going to be um, where I think me, a casual uniform disliker or liker can really judge, you know, Hey, this is more creative than years past or whatever it is. So the space uniforms are the fun ones. I think they took a really basic approach uh, with these and they didn't, they didn't try to make big changes, obviously. So maybe there was a little bit too much hype going into it that these are going to be brand new uniforms or whatever. uh, When in reality, you know, they're not too different, but with that being said, it's, it's kind of like the night head bringing it up to the 21st century, modernizing it, um, and I think they'll still like, you know, Adam was saying, they'll still find ways to, you know, pay homage to back in the day and, and whatnot. So before yeah. my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like the fact, you know, I think we're going to see the variety with the helmets, with the new Nighthead, uh, the Night Script logo. I love that. Uh, so I think there's some good opportunities there to kind of, you know, change up the look using the helmets. 
Uh, and obviously, the you know the different variations they can do white, gold, and black helmets. Uh, I will miss anthracite a little bit. I kind of like that uh, that shade just uh, just to be a little bit different. And at least UCF has been consistent in their uniform branding, uh, no matter the color scheme they use. But uh, yeah, I do I do really like these uniforms. I like I like simple and clean. Uh, you know, you see you've seen some schools. You know. As you said, Jason, you can tell what a bad uniform looks like, and and you see some, and you go, "How did that get through?" <laughs> and he's like, "It's just just pretty crazy." So, uh, so overall, it looks like the the group is uh, thumbs up on the on on the new uniforms uh, for the next couple of seasons at least. All right, well, we've come close to the end, so this is where I let uh, everybody do their shameless plugs. And if you <clears throat> want to throw in a comment or thought that uh, maybe we haven't covered in these proceedings, you can feel the uh, t- feel that opportunity to do so. So, Jason, we'll uh, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know I mentioned at the top of the show one year anniversary of the Orlando Sentinel. So, you know, where to find me at OrlandoSentinel.com. Uh, you know, daily UCF coverage. We, we have UCF football now, our weekly show, me and Mike Bianchi. We break it down every week on our show. Um, you know, I'll be making appearances at 96.9 The Game with Brandon Kravitz and Brie McNaught on Spectrum. Weekly appearances there. So a little bit more than the, than the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, also, this coming weekend, um, I don't know when the show is going to be posted, but hopefully before the weekend because mm-hmm. I'm going to give a promo to our 48-page football preview tab section. It's our special preview. It was my first time doing it. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work, uh, you know, handling big picture pieces and preview pieces while also doing the daily content. So I think from what I've seen, kind of what I've written, what I've read from my colleagues, uh, our football section preview, which comes out Sunday in print, uh, we'll be trickling our online content, you know, as the week goes on, heading into the season. I think it's going to be a really good read, and uh, yeah, just daily content at, at the Orlando Sentinel. It's been great so far. Yeah, and uh, you're carrying Bianchi on that show, so you know that's oh, tough yeah. work. That's oh, yeah. tough work, uh, but you're doing you're doing outstanding <laughs> with that. And uh, yeah, that you you mentioned the uh, the annual football section. Yeah, that's like a rite of passage in these parts. It's a behemoth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a beautiful thing. All right, Eric. Well, uh, obviously, Black and Gold Banneret, we do a weekly podcast. We write, obviously, previews. got preview positions up there for football. We cover all the other sports. You can check it out at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Follow me at Eric Lopez Elo. You mentioned earlier I do softball. Well, there's an offseason in the fall, so I got to do something other than watch football. So this fall, I will be calling UCF Volleyball on ESPN Plus with former UCF volleyball coach Meg Fitzgerald, who coached uh, the three conference titles. So we'll be covering volleyball to see if they go a fifth straight American conference title with McKenna Melville. So you can check that out on ESPN+. Plus, Plus, I'm filling in this Sunday, uh, calling UCF women's soccer uh, against Florida Gulf Coast, the now newly ranked 23rd ranked UCF women's soccer. So ESPN+, Plus, you're going to see a lot of me this fall, this voice, and then I'll be back with softball for... 17th season, 16th, 17th, I've lost track. Since 07, whatever that math works uh, for Sop, obviously, I've, uh, coming off that historic season where they got to the Super Regionals. Uh, as I told Adam off air, and I think I told Brandon, I got to call men's soccer uh, goal, golden goal by Cal Jennings in 2019 to get to the Sweet 16 for the first time program history. This summer, this spring, back in May, I called softball winning the regional for the first time ever to get to a super regional. Maybe I'll give volleyball that luck to get over the hump in a Sweet 16. But uh, uh, Olympic sports coverage there I'll be involved with and helping out as well from time to time with football and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Good follow on Eric Lopez. 
Yeah, look at you uh, doing the variety of play-by-play there, and yeah, be the lucky charm. You take credit for that. That'll work. (laughs) Brandon. Yeah, uh, I just want to make a couple comments first. Uh, Jason was talking about having the Orlando Signal College football preview or the football preview come out. I mean, that has a long time history and tradition, you know, that that section. You know, as a kid that grew up in Orlando, I mean, kind of in the pre-internet, era i remember you know i always look forward to that you know you you're going through the high school the college the pro sections looking at schedules reading stories i mean that was i that was like christmas day i always look forward to that i'd you know sneak it out of the newspaper bring it to school and be like where this no i i had it's my backpack mom i got it you know it was one of those things i always remember enjoying that it's kind of my memories of 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 newspapers and and eric lopez is he just this is such a fantastic job broadcasting i'm looking forward to to firing up espn plus you know on my tv this fall and, and watching some volleyball broadcast with eric i just absolutely cannot wait but uh, for me uh brandon helwig i've been covering ucf a pretty long time uh you can find me at ucfsports.com twitter handles the same way ucf sports uh and i'm look, looking forward to kind of this fun farewell season to kind of say goodbye to places I've been many times like Greenville, North Carolina. I don't know if I'll be there, go there ever again (laughs) beyond this year. You got some road trips like Memphis. uh, Do you want to go back? That's the better question. I don't think I will. (laughs) uh, I'm just kind of looking forward to this fun farewell season and, you know, that kind of transition, uh, you know, to that first big, big 12 year, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Outstanding. And I don't think there's any truth to the rumor that ESPN Plus raised the rates so that they could pay Eric. So uh, uh, I'd heard I that. I can't but... confirm or deny. No comment. I'll take the fifth. <laughs> I'm taking the fifth. All right, Adam. Yeah, I mean, first, like like I said off the top, it's just so cool to be included in, in this session. Obviously, three guys who cover UCF really well have been around for a long time. So just to be involved in this, uh, Jeff, is always an honor. So I appreciate you having me. Uh, so we do the Sons of UCF. We have an audio pod. comes out Tuesday. We do a live internet show, uh, 8 p.m. Thursday nights. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, if you want to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe, it's at Sons UCF. A lot of different things we put on there. We have some features. We have some podcast um, splice-ups. We have some interviews with some guests. So uh, if you want to give our, uh, our YouTube feed to subscribe. That would be fantastic. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Sons of UCF. Uh, Mike is our co-host at UCF Mike One and the one and only Mr. Trace Troco at Sign Pez on Twitter. He posts a lot of videos, a lot of polls. He's a rabid retweeter. So uh, be prepared for what you're getting into if you follow Trace. But uh, can't wait for the season to start. You know, uh, I, again, I, I admire the, the heck out of these three guys as well, too. So just glad to be included and uh, look forward to all the coverage this season. Yeah, and you know, one of my favorite parts of your show is learning about the things that Mike doesn't care about. <laughs> you should probably learn about what he does care about. It's probably faster that way. <laughs> yeah, you might be right about that. But of course, uh, you know, Adam, really the honor is all mine to have all all, all you guys here. You know, this uh, is again, one of my favorite shows to do every year, and I think we get a lot out of it. And it's uh, always great talking football and UCF sports with you guys. And so I certainly do appreciate that. So once again... To the four of you, I say thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.